What I'm about to say, you'll say, oh my God. But what I'm about to say is what kind of everybody educated believed in the first half of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And it would be that pretty much at the moment of conception, there's this thing called general intelligence that's fixed. Do you like books? I'm outlining a new writing project. Who wrote this book? Read it. Will you read it? Sometimes I'd write something. What are you writing? Have you written anything lately? I'm Amanda Stern, and this is Bookable. On today's show, Raging Against the Testing Machine. There's a lot of intense criticism of systems lately. The system is broken. The unraveling that happens to that system. Who have been victims of this system. The system is on trial now. The system is rigged. The system is corrupt. Most of the focus has been on the perpetuation of structural discrimination. But what about a system whose creators thought their intentions were noble? Well, if it's based on a faulty premise, it's just as pernicious. What happens when a world outgrows the concepts born in a different era? Hello, hi, come on in. Well, our guest today wrote a book 20 years ago that kicked off a heated debate about one ubiquitous American system. And it's a discussion that continues with even more urgency today. Should I put these on? Yes. Time for an introduction. My name is Nicholas Lemon, and I'm here to talk about um, a book called The Big Test, The Secret History of the American Meritocracy, which was originally published in 1999, uh, but is still available as a paperback. So, um, it, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it still exists. Nicholas Lemon. The Big Test is about the creation of academic testing and how it began as a system to reward intelligence over class. Based on test results, the men who scored highest would rise to the top as our leaders. In essence, these tests presupposed that intelligence was a fixed object that could be measured and therefore standardized. To understand the history of academic testing in this country, you've got to take a trip back in time to meet some guys. First up, meet Henry Chauncey. You know, he's a main character in this book, so I uh, got to know him very well. Henry grew up as a member of the American elite in the early 1900s. So naturally, he was educated at Groton, a place where rich boys learned how to be good and useful. And then he would go to the school that every aspiring elite hoped to attend, Harvard. And basically spent up to age about 40 at Harvard as a student and then an assistant dean. So this guy was very much a product of elite academia. And while at Harvard, Henry would meet a man who changed the course of his entire life. The president of Harvard from 1933 to 53 was a very different kind of person named James Conant. Yup. Next up is James Conant. Conant was a reformist who railed against the American elite. He wanted to remake American society by limiting educational opportunity. Only a new elite, one that he would help choose, could attend a four-year college and rise to the top. The only qualification? Performing well on a test. A test which at the time 
was thought to measure pure intelligence. These high-performing 17-year-old test takers would become our future leaders. So Henry Chauncey, influenced by his interactions with Conant, realized what he wanted to do with the rest of his life. Test the entire population. He wanted to create a census of abilities. You know, people in his generation felt the U.S. was wasting a tremendous amount of talent because there'd be all these people who had incredible abilities but, you know, spent their whole life behind a mule in the plow because there was no way to find them. And if you could have the census of abilities, then you could find them and, and use them to make the country greater. So Conan really had the idea of remaking first who was at Harvard, then who was at the Ivy League schools and schools like that, and then kind of who was in the American elite or leadership class. In service of that, he asked Henry to go kind of scout around and find an admissions test that he could use uh, to kind of get a new kind of student into Harvard. So Henry went around and talked to all the people in testing and met a man named Carl Brigham, who was at Princeton and who had invented the early SAT. And then he came back to Conan and said, okay, I found your test for you. It's called the Scholastic Aptitude Test. And that's what you have to do to uh, use to, to uh, get the kind of students that you want at Harvard. From the Big Test, page four. The Second World War is now drawing to its conclusions, which, it's clear at last, will be a total victory by the Allies. The war has made the United States into the greatest power in the world, the central and essential civilization. That, Americans hope, will serve as a model of how to organize a society properly. The system that existed at that time was uh, sort of a, a rule by wealth and inheritance. Well, you know, everything is relative, right? Mm -hmm. So um, from the outside, that's the way it looked. Mm -hmm. From the inside, that isn't the way it looked. Okay, so okay, what was so, the So let's imagine, say, the late George H.W. Bush, okay, who mm -hmm. lived inside this system. So... I'm, I'm, I'm pretending to be him for a minute. Okay. I've grown up in this world, you know, that is sort of sociologically distinctive. 90% of the people I grew up with didn't amount to anything. So the idea that we're a ruling class is silly. A few of us who had extraordinary abilities uh, of which athleticism would be equal to or greater than intelligence in value were selected to go to places like Yale and be in organizations like Skull and Bones and then go on to serve the public. But it's not like we were a feudal-style ruling class who, ran, who ruled by pure inheritance because in our mind, I'm being George H.W. Bush mm -hmm. again, my whole life I've been competing and being, you know, surviving winnowing contests and, and, and being groomed for leadership. 
So nothing was handed to me. I earned it all. You know, that's how those people thought. Today, people, if you happen to know any who are, quote, meritocrats, Mm -hmm. if those who are not them think they didn't earn anything and they, you know, as they, the old line about former President Bush, they were born on third base and thought they hit a triple. Um, (laughs) But, but, but they believe they earned their status. Right. Right. But Henry Chauncey and Conant wanted to redo the way that things were, the system at the right. time. Conant actually, you know, wrote like, here's my vision kind of stuff. Okay. Henry did not do that kind of thing. He was, he was an administrator. But he kept a diary, so you have his sort of ideas there. But his ideas were, were not less about society, which didn't interest him that much, and more about testing, which, you know, to him was like... Well, he he would say occasionally was you know his came from a long line of ministers, Puritan ministers, and he thought testing was kind of the new version of religion, basically. Okay, and so um, the idea of having people tested, did he think that that would help to create a more just society? Like, what was his i his? Yeah, he wouldn't have used a word like just. Uh huh. He would have used he 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 felt it was scientifically better it would, it would i think what he would have liked would to say was um you know i hate to speak for him cuz he's not here it would have created a more modern society and a society that that um was was better at matching everybody to uh the role that would be best for them mhm he wasn't. He didn't want to sort of turn society upside down. That was more Conan's idea. Okay. Um, so it was like like a, a rough analogy, like if you know anybody who's a tech person, mm-hmm. and they think you know technology is good, full stop. It will make the world better. You know. Right. And then if you say, "Well, walk me through the exact way it'll make world the world better." There's kind of a blank, you know, because they're so sure it will make the world better. Mm-hmm. So that was more like like Henry. I wouldn't call him a social visionary. I would call him a very, very, very gifted administrator and somebody who was able to build up an organization from nothing into a position of real influence, even though his own vision of what it should be for was sort of vague and was never realized. From the Big Test, page 118, of his predictions, the one that got almost all the attention was that the old, lauded aristocracy would become irrelevant and would be replaced by a new upper class made up of highly intelligent, well-educated people. This resonated deeply all over the world with readers who had not been born into the old elite, but who qualified for the new one. Their moment had arrived. Can you talk a little bit about um, Michael Young and the origin of the word meritocracy? Yeah, so Michael Young was a great British sociologist and a sort of political policy wonk type. So he wrote uh, an incredibly weird, great little book called The Rise of the Meritocracy that was published in 1958. 
it's not really a novel. It's it's a dystopian fake dissertation, <laughs> um, but it's about the British education system creating um, what he calls a meritocracy through IQ testing and educational sorting, and then um, you know it ends in a bloody revolution. Um, I teach this book to my students, and it's extremely prophetic about things like Trump and Brexit. Wow. Really? Well, what do you mean by that? Remember, meritocracy is a liberal idea, okay? It comes from really deep within the liberal establishment. And the fundamental irony is, you know, all this social engineering takes place with the idea that we're going to create a new liberal elite that will make the world a much better place. It sort of works in the sense that there is this kind of different and generally liberal elite that gets created. And guess what? Everybody hates them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, instead of being being beloved, they, they give rise to these kind of populist uh, angry sentiments, both on the left and right. And and uh, that's kind of what Michael Young predicted in 1958. Um, and what are the qualities of meritocracy? Mm. Okay, so this here we get into some of the deeper problems. Um, so there's a Greek word that's very old, thousands of years old, called aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And that means rule by the best, literally in Greek. When you hear aristocracy, what you hear is ruled by the inherited elite, that by the fortunate, fortunately born. So why is that? Um, the reason is that, in, at least in my opinion, once you make somebody the elite, they start sort of misbehaving and, and in various ways, including passing on their advantages to their children. Um, so, so... Aristocracy, as the Greeks meant it, was no longer usable in the modern world because it had degraded to this completely opposite meaning. So, so what Jung did was he said, well, I can't use aristocracy. You know, there's this other term, natural aristocracy, um, that's meant to sort of rescue aristocracy. Um, I just have a review coming out in the Times Book Review of a book where the author tries to revive this term. Um, But Jung decided, well, I'll just take the Latin root of the first syllable and keep the the Greek root of the second syllable and recreate the meaning. So it's merit is Latin and ocracy is Greek, right? So it's a sort of stitched together Latin Greek word. And then the irony as far as, as Jung is concerned is he invented it as something to warn against but in conversation in America today, everybody's for it. Everybody thinks it's a, it's the founding idea of the United States, as far as I can tell. But how did that happen? I think it happened, you know, the old-fashioned way, which is um, when you create a, a, a criterion for choosing an elite and you let that run for a generation or two, um, the people who are on the inside of the system think they're fabulous and they earned their status in the way I was describing a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And the people outside think they're a bunch of people who were born in and are privileged. Um, so if you're inside the system, 
uh, meritocracy sounds is is used as a positive, um, and it's only starting to sort of break down. When this book came out, um, a lot of the reaction was, you know, just this kind of, huh, what? How can you question meritocracy? It's such a great idea. For a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about Trekkies. No, for real. We actually are going to talk about Trekkies. And the racial implications of a test written by, and I will argue, four white men. Stick around. Welcome back to Bookable. I'm Amanda Stern, here with Nicholas Lemon, author of The Big Test. The Educational Testing Service, or ETS, was created in 1947 to develop and produce standardized academic tests. And they're still around today, administering the SAT, the GRE, and so, so many others. But ETS has come under increasing scrutiny for perpetuating systemic bias in education. In The Big Test, Nicholas writes, During all the time that ETS and other testing companies had been promoting the use of tests, it never occurred to them that the results would be used to exclude black people, or, for that matter, that there could be any bad side to the miracle of testing. But excluding black people was the effect. There was nothing in the test that says only for white people or only for men. Mm-hmm. Um, they were given to people who went to super elite high schools and wanted to go to Ivy League or Ivy League-like colleges. That group would have been almost entirely white and predominantly male at the time. But they weren't, you know, designed, quote, for white males. Right. Um, then, you know, at a, during World War II, the old college boards were dropped in the SAT. So the SAT was first a scholarship student device. So it would have been given to a less fortunate group than the college boards. Mm-hmm. People, you know, the, the thought was if you went to, you know, the public high school in a Midwestern town, you couldn't take the college boards because, first of all, you couldn't get to an administration site. And second of all, you wouldn't have been prepared on the curriculum they tested for, so you would take the SAT. During the Second World War, the old college boards were abolished entirely, and everybody who wanted to go to college board colleges had to take the SAT. Okay. Just to push back for one second, you said that they they weren't explicitly designed for white men. Right. But... They were designed by white men, yes? Yes, I mean, with a few exceptions, but yeah, predominantly, yes. Okay, so I would say that they were then designed for white men. That gets into a whole can of worms because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just picturing the days when I was at ETS all the time, and, you know, I'd eat in the cafeteria there with all these item writers. Uh So the picture you're like, I want to paint a picture of these guys. They're, they're going to lunch in the cafeteria. What do they talk about? Topic A, Star Trek. 
They're like the nerdiest guys <laughs> in the world, and everything is about Star Trek trivia. Wow. And they think of themselves as these sort of geeky, techy psychometricians. Mm -hmm. So if you said to them, do you know that you're writing test items for white males that only white males will do well at? They would have really taken umbrage at that, even though they very predominantly were white males, um, because they thought they were making technical artifacts you know, mm -hmm. um, not culturally loaded tests. Right. Um, and so... And they didn't think they were, like, part of an elite that was handing things over to, you know, future elites. They thought we're just these, like, trekky, geeky guys who write test items. Right. Well, that was, when, 20 years ago? 25 more, more years ago, almost 30 years ago. Wow. I wonder what they think now. It's a, tr you know, this is a an ongoing problem. Uh, again, you know, there may be people out there who would disagree with what I'm saying, but my consistent impression then is now, and I don't follow it as closely, is, um, you know, even back then when I was working on it, black employees at ETS had a much, much more negative view of the organization and much more critical than white employees. Mm -hmm. But it was like a lot of situations in life where, I mean, like we're in a radio studio with three people. And if I said to you, we're all white, so you must be racist or you must have designed your show in order to, you know, perpetuate white privilege, you'd mm -hmm. say, wait a minute, I just happened to invite this guest and, and so on and so forth. So the the white hierarchy and employees of ETS were consistently mystified by the racial critique of them. The black employees consistently got it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and there, there was just, starting in the 70s, really, there was this, and it's still going on, you know, long-running drama of... ETS and the College Board trying to kind of improve its relations, especially with African Americans and some white women, um, and 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 kind of hitting walls on mm -hmm. that. It was just a, a sort of perception gap. Do you have any thoughts about um, Trump and his penchant for insulting people using a low IQ? <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Trump has a lot of pensions, but but um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that he does is he he, he has you know a lot of his self presentation is kind of under the heading of. You're thinking it, and I'm saying it. It sort of picked up from, you know, bad boy talk show hosts and people like that. So, so I think um, he seems to be very convinced that IQ is important and that he has a high one. I don't know if he does or he doesn't, um, but it's a way to insult people. And also, um, you know, he he's he's exposing some of the contradictions of the system. That is, if you go like into the first year class of Yale Law School and say, 
who here has an IQ and thinks they're smarter than most? He has a high IQ and thinks they're smarter than most people. No one will raise their hand, but they all think it, you know? Mm-hmm. So so he's sort of pulling it up. It's it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff is it's like a sexuality in Victorian England or something. It's like it's very part of people's psychology and self-concept, but they know they're not supposed to talk about it or they talk about it in very constrained ways. Yeah. I actually now have two more questions. And also, I mean, I, I now teach and live in a university. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I don't know, they won't say it very often in public, but I have a lot of private conversations where it's the flip, where they say people who vote for Trump are stupid. And they, you know, really, uh, A, they're, they're, you know, Republicans or voters are dumber than Democratic voters. Mm-hmm. Look at the college ed percentages. And B, you know, they just don't have the intellectual processing capacity to understand how to vote right. (laughs) So both sides play the game in a way, although the liberal side plays it more quietly. Nicholas Lemon, author of The Big Test. It's published by Farrar, Strauss and Giroux. And this year marks the 20th anniversary of its release. Bookable is a production of Loud Tree Media. I'm your host, Amanda Stern. Five feet tall, although I tested six feet, were produced by me, Bo Friedlander, and Andrew Dunn, who also mixed and sound designed the show. Bo is Loud Tree's editor-in-chief. Find us on the web at bookablepod.com. And please subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. That's one of the best ways for other listeners to find Bookable. And for all of us out there working to dismantle unjust systems, persistence can pay off. I believe that it's possible that you won't have an SAT in five to ten years. I think the whole thing is sort of starting to collapse. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, when I published the book, it was like, this is crazy. You uh-huh. know? And now there's just a lot of stuff around this. There's things happening. I think this system is going to get shaken up. This is bookable.